The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Yesterday, Joe Biden made that surprise visit to Kiev as the uh, anniversary of Russia's invasion of that country approaches. Uh, During his visit, he pledged a further $500 million in military aid. With Republicans now narrowly controlling the House of Representatives, uh, gifting Ukraine further support could become a bit more difficult. Now, to talk about this and about Putin's speech just concluded uh, moments ago, I'm joined by Larry Donnelly, law lecturer with the University of Galway and political columnist with the Journal. Larry, good morning. Good morning, Pat. Let's start with the most recent news, I suppose, and that is uh, Putin's speech where he blamed Ukraine for starting the war and uh, claimed that they were just going in to ensure uh, Ukraine's uh, safety and security. Um, Extraordinary stuff. Uh, Absolutely, Pat. Extraordinary is the only word for it. I mean, the speech was just laden with uh, full, full on lies uh, overblown propaganda, absolute nonsense, the sort of stuff that I, I suppose in some ways we might have associated with the old Soviet Union uh, and the KGB, given their penchant for never uh, telling the truth. Uh, Putin must be calculating that there is uh, some audience for this uh, in Russia. Uh, I suspect that audience might be dwindling, but still this appeal to nationalism. I note that one of the things he said was that uh, this is a battle between us and the West. Uh, and Western culture is really de- decadent and decaying, uh, that they approve of things like pedophilia, et cetera, et cetera. So he's playing that nationalist drum. But again, uh, the point becomes, how much of an audience is there for that as this war continues on and on? Mm. Um, he did refer to LGBT rights uh, or lack of in Russia, saying that uh, according to all religions, the fundamental unit is the family, uh, the relationship between a man and a woman. Yeah, and this is, you know, it's very interesting, Pat, here. In former days, anyway, uh, those sorts, that sort of rhetoric actually would have drawn Putin some sneaky admirers on the American cultural right uh, who would have wondered, who would have wondered aloud, I don't think they're doing so aloud anymore, but who would have wondered aloud uh, if Putin is actually one of us in terms of this existential battle for uh, civilization and values, et cetera, et cetera. But those are the types of things that I, I think he's trying to utilize to keep uh, at least what remains of an older, more conservative, uh, more inward-looking, more instinctively anti-Western cohort uh, of the Russian people uh, on side with him. But I think that juxtaposes very much against uh, with how young people feel uh, about him and about uh, the, the war in Ukraine. Now, he made lots of remarks about the economies both in the West and in Russia, saying Russian inflation is less than that in the West. West the West had inflicted uh, injury on itself by uh, the sanctions uh, on Russian energy and so on and so forth. But I got the impression that he was a man who protesteth just too much. Yeah, I, I, I certainly think so. And I mean, certainly some of the sanctions that the U.S. has and others and the EU have imposed uh, have to be starting at least to hit home. We know that there was some degree of insulation against uh, certain things in Russia, but some of these have to be hitting home. And quite frankly, it's laughable uh, that Putin would insist that the, the West uh, or the United States even has brought this upon it, it, itself. The fact is he is the one uh, who with zero cause, zero justification, uh, launched 
this war uh, against Ukraine, which has had devastating impacts, uh, which have been felt right around uh, the world, inflation being one of many, but the, the gross di displacement uh, of Ukrainian people, the subsequent strain that is placed on Western economies, uh, and everything else. So this has been a grossly disruptive uh, war, and there's only one person to blame for it, and it's, it's Vladimir Putin. Now, you know, th there was another way uh, to address Putin's paranoia about the West in terms of Ukraine. He didn't want Ukraine to join NATO, didn't want Ukraine to be, uh, you know, part of the, the Western bloc rather than uh, part of the Russian bloc. Uh, but he didn't seem to be the kind of man who, uh, and perhaps Western leaders were not that open to it, that could have negotiated uh, that Ukraine become a very prosperous East and West looking buffer between the two zones. You make you make a very interesting point. I mean, there are some bigger, broader issues here uh, that I do think warrant conversation. The fact is we can't have a conversation uh, when a war is going on. But in terms of uh, Ukraine, in terms of the westward expansion uh, of NATO and the potential encroachment that Putin uh, may have felt and all those other issues, those are there for discussion, okay? They, or they were there for discussion. They were there for negotiation. Uh, and I, you know, again, I'd be one of those who would have, who would question to some extent the wisdom uh, of the onward expansion eastward uh, of, of, uh, of NATO. But you can't have any kind of conversation when someone's, uh, I suppose, first resort uh, is to arm conflict. I mean, who would have thought we'd be, you know, have a ground war in the, on the European continent in 2023? Nobody. Yeah. Now, Putin also addressed something that uh, all the observers were predicting would come home to roost, and that is the fate of those who were conscripted and who died uh, for the motherland. Um, and he did promise all sorts of uh, perks and um, social welfare assistance to the families and indeed better conditions and pay for those who would go to the front. I mean, obviously, it's horrific for the for those families and, you know, the, the, the losses that they've experienced. Uh, I can't imagine how they could have any faith uh, in promises being put forward by uh, Vladimir Putin as he continues on with this war. So, I mean, uh, our hearts have to go out with them. They're the innocents and all this. But uh, Putin certainly has no moral scruples, and I certainly wouldn't put any credence uh, in any promises he might be making at the moment. Mm -hmm. uh, even yesterday, uh, Sean Moncrief was telling us that uh, Ukrainians were telling him in Kiev how uh, the Russian soldiers, when they'd break into a house, would be amazed at the relative luxury of Ukrainians' houses, you know, with microwaves and flat screen TVs and all the rest of it, uh, which they would not possess at home, having been led to believe that Ukrainians lived in peasant hovels. Well, well, certainly this is this is the this is the bigger, I suppose, battle for hearts and minds that I adverted to a few minutes ago. Uh, the audience for Putin's shtick, for lack of a better way of putting it, uh, is older. Uh, it, it, it's it's diminishing in numbers uh, by the day, uh, and you know that that sort of nostalgia that they might have this idea of it's us against the West, vis-a-vis uh, -vis, uh, a younger cohort uh, of, of Russians who want the same things, who, who enjoy the same things uh, that people in the West do uh, and feel gr grossly deprived by virtue of the Putin regime uh, at that. So this is, I suppose, one of the bigger uh, you know, battles that's going on in the background of this war against Ukraine. Now, Joe Biden in Kiev, uh, I mean, extraordinary to see him as the air raid sirens sounded and himself and uh, Vladimir Zelensky walking in the sunshine, uh, Biden in his shades, uh, totally relaxed, uh, 
in a city that uh, seemed largely unperturbed by the war. And people are saying, you know, this is his moment in the, w- the way that Kennedy went to Berlin and said, Ich bin ein Berliner. Uh, grammatically incorrect, but anyway, that's what he said. Uh, and Reagan said to Gorbachev, tear down that wall. Um, that, you know, this is a very symbolic moment for Biden. It, it certainly is a, a, a very big moment. The fir- first thing I, I'd like to say, Pat, is I'd encourage listeners to have a look at some of the media reports uh, on how Joe Biden actually got to Kiev. Uh, it's an absolutely fascinating logistical operation uh, that involved effectively lying to the American press corps, only allowing a small secret cabal of people in on the secret, uh, clandestine flights, and then a clandestine uh, train journey overnight uh, into Kiev. So it's really quite something as to how he pulled it off. Uh, and again, at 80 years of age, something we've talked about before, this was a, a big moment, I think, uh, for Joe Biden. Uh, I think he's very, very committed to America playing a proactive role uh, in Ukraine in terms of this conflict. But he also has to be wary of the political backdrop to this. We know uh, that the support of the American people for uh, U.S. funding and, uh, and other supports for Ukraine uh, is starting to diminish. Uh, we know, obviously, that he wants his second term as president. Uh, his advisors will be cautioning him against escalating things. And also, uh, we need to be wary of these new reports, which feature uh, a story that uh, China may be considering giving lethal aid uh, to Moscow, uh, which, again, is a really, really dangerous possibility. Mm. And yet, uh, Anthony Blinken did have that meeting, uh, I think, with the Chinese foreign minister in Munich. And, you know, perhaps uh, there will be a thaw after the balloon burst. One, one, one certainly, one certainly hopes so uh, on that front. But uh, you know, here's where. But you know, again, just to refer to domestic political tensions, uh, the reality is that the there's a, a crowd of hard right Republicans in the House of Representatives uh, who really are, are against uh, further funding for Ukraine. They've indeed introduced a Ukraine fatigue re- resolution, uh, which effectively would say we want uh, to express our sense that funding should stop uh, and that we should worry about our borders, uh, not the borders of a place halfway around the world. Uh, When they do that, they are speaking for a certain cohort uh, of the American people, uh, a lot of whom reside in battleground states, a lot of whom are going to be pivotal uh, in the next presidential election. So that's why Biden is in a very difficult spot here. Yeah. Uh, But at the same time, you know, those kind of people, they want to make America great again, which means, I suppose, on one level, they want America to become the world's policeman again, the top dog you know, better than China, stronger than China, certainly better than Russia, stronger than Russia. Uh, And the messaging that will reach them is that if we capitulate, then we do become, you know, the second class power. Yeah, I mean, I think there's a, there's an interesting contradiction at the heart of what some of these people uh, are advocating and what what they what they uh, you know what they say ultimately. But I think they are responding to something very deep within the American people that is a byproduct of uh, recent failed military incursions, especially in the Middle East, which is uh, we want to uh, stay home. So uh, I suppose they want to be the best. They want to be the best in the world, uh, but at the same time, uh, they don't want to use troops and they don't want to be as heavily vested in the rest of the world's affairs uh, as the United States might have been. The Biden administration has a real job of work to convince uh, the American people that this is necessary, that this may be a long way away, but this is necessary and we can't let Russia uh, continue Mm -hmm. acting as it has. And finally and briefly, Larry, do you expect uh, Joe Biden in Ireland this year? 
Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to happen in 2023, and there are reports that it is going to happen. Some people say it's April. That might be a little bit soon, but definitely I would expect him here in 2023. Larry Donnelly, law lecturer at the University of Galway, columnist with thejournal.ie. Thank you very much. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9 a.m. on News Talk.